It's the Perry and Shauna podcast on the real life journey with you, reminding you that you are Abba's beloved child and that Jesus has called you into his massive mission to heal the world. Hey, if you're a parent, let's talk about it being the best parent possible, bringing your kids to life. Hmm. We've got Melissa Hannigan with us. She's got a Master of Arts degree in counseling from Midwestern Theological Seminary. Before becoming a full-time homeschool mom, Melissa has worked with teen girls to overcome abuse, addictions, and trauma. She's passionate about helping you discover God's best for your life. Melissa is married to John, and they are parents of four kids, and her brand new book, pretty much brand new book, is called Inconvenient Parenting, Activate Your Child's God-Given Traits. Good morning, Melissa. Thanks for joining us here at Perry and Shauna Mornings. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. It's so much fun to talk about a brand new book. (laughs) Yeah, and congratulations. That's awesome. So I do have a question for you about your title here, Inconvenient Parenting. That's kind of got me curious a little bit. And then activate your child's God-given traits. And having kind of done a little bit of research, I understand there's 12 different traits. And I yes. am just going to completely keep it real with you here for a second. When I was home with my four kids and they were little and I was homeschooling, to t- to pick up a book about 12 traits, to I think that would have completely thrown me over the top. I mean, most days I felt like I was failing at parenting. I'm not sure I could have taken on this book. Tell me about it. Yes. Well, I know it can be overwhelming. Um, First of all, the title was actually my husband coined the term. Uh, Back in 2020, I was introduced to um, a book by Dr. Armstrong, Awakening Your Child's Genius. And he did research for classrooms, for teachers, and how to infuse traits into a classroom to help students have the best success for their future. Um, And so I was a homeschool mom. I was hungry for some fresh ideas. And so I was reading through this book and yeah, it was overwhelming. There was 12 of them, but the more that I dug into them, the more I realized that they were already present in our kids. All Mm. of them were God given gifts that he created when he formed us. And so I got excited as I started to recognize them in my children. And um, Mm. I started to implement new things in our home. I I created some spaces for creativity and inventions. And um, we had a lot more free time because we were all stuck at home. And so we took a lot more family walks and slowed down to notice the sunsets and the, the little bugs crawling on the ground. But in the doing that, my husband realized like, wow, this is a lot more inconvenient for you, isn't it? (laughs) I'm like, you're right. It is. It really is. And I wanted to call the book Sacrificial Parenting. It sounds Hmm. more spiritual. It sounds more, (laughs) you know, but, but the reality is that I was choosing to say yes to some more inconveniences for the long-term benefit of my Hmm. kids. And that's really the heart of this book. It's not a checklist of things that we as parents need to add to our list because you're right. We're overwhelmed. We've got enough going on. We have enough shame and guilt that we feel like we're already not measuring up. It's just a change of perspective of the Hmm. way that we think about our children, about ourselves and about the way that God created us. And so it's hopefully an encouraging book that Hmm. gives you inspiration instead of a daunting book that feels like, oh, one more thing to do. Right, right. It sounds to me like it's more an opportunity to to have your have think these things highlighted in your own mind so that you can parent more intentionally to get yes. the result that you're you're hoping for for your kids. 
Absolutely. Intentional. That's such a good word. And it, and stewardship. It's God's given these gifts to us and to our children. And so how do we steward them well? And with my mental health background, I know how powerful changing our thoughts about things can be. Mm. It, it's not a huge to-do thing. It's just shifting our perspective and it makes all the difference. So one day, Melissa was at the park with her kids. And Melissa, your daughter asked you a question. And talk about that. Yeah. So, you know, one of the qualities that I write about is curiosity. And God created our children with from the womb. They're curious. They're wanting to know about the world around them. And that's the way that we learn and we grow. And and so it's, it's an important quality um, that we should encourage in our kids. But sometimes it's not always convenient when they ask us our questions, whether it's right before bed when they have all their questions. Um, my son, especially as he got older, that was his favorite time, 11 o'clock at night, wanting to tell me all about his day. Um, but it's important as parents that we encourage our kids to continue to come to us with their questions because the world is ready to answer their questions and probably not in the ways that we would want them to be answered. So one day we're at the playground and my daughter out of the blue says, mommy, how do two mommies have a baby? Now, we had just done uh, human reproduction in our homeschool. And we had had conversations, you know, elementary level, how babies are made. We also talked about, because I homeschool, like, okay, kids, now there are things that mommies and daddies talk to their children about that you shouldn't be going to church and sharing with your friends what you learned at your homeschool that day. um, Because there are things that It's mom's and dad's jobs to teach their children. So at the park that day, when my daughter asked me this awkward question that I was like, first of all, where did you come up? (laughs) How did you put that together in your mind? And I'm thinking, well, you're right. It doesn't make sense. Um, So I bent down and I said, that's a great question. Thank you so much for sharing that with mommy. I really want to know what made you think that. But we're in a public place right now where there are lots of other children that maybe their mommies and daddies aren't ready for them to have that information. Mm. And so we're going to put a pin in that and we're going to recircle back to it when we get home because it is an important question that I want to answer for you, just not right now. Mm-hmm. Now, my flesh was like, okay, can we just forget <laughs> this question? And, <laughs> you know, it, it's such a, there's so many implications to that question. Right. And, and so, but I, once we got home, I prayed and I was like, Lord, I need you to guide. How do I, where is her heart? What do I need to share? And I, you know, we had a one-on-one time where her and I talked about mm-hmm. God's design for families, medical interventions, and and the practical ways that families that are not typical have extra children. And, and so, and, and asked her, where did she, you know, where did that thought come from? And I just wanted to probe and figure out where she was, but most importantly, celebrate the fact that she wanted to ask me that right. question and to give her a safe place to to come to me because I want her to continue to come to me as the questions get more awkward, more uncomfortable. And, you know, I'm not an expert on everything. There are a lot of things that they ask me questions about that I don't know the answer to, Sure, but I want to model to them, number one, humility. Mm. Hey, mom doesn't know everything, but together we can find out the answer. So let's go to an expert. Let's go to our pastor. Let's go to God's word or to trustworthy sources to find information. And modeling that helps them to learn how to eventually, as they get older, find answers for themselves. But 
It's know, just an example of the inconvenience of some of those questions. Right. I love how you nurtured curiosity from your child and really encouraged her to be curious. Like these qu- questions are good. And the way in which you kept the conversation open that she can come to you with those questions keeps you the person who gets to inform her about what she's curious about instead of thinking, oh, mom didn't like when I asked that question at the playground. So I will just ask somebody else. You know, I'll ask a peer or whatever the case may be. But I also see, Melissa, in that, that you modeled curiosity for her because not only did you answer the question, you had questions yourself. Like, where did that come from in you? It's a beautiful illustration of what it looks like to nurture one of the 12 traits. One of the things in having four kids... They're so different. Every single one of my kids is so different and their needs are different. And then there's seasons where somebody's needs seem greater than everybody else's. And it's, I think it's easy to, to let that kind of take over what's happening in the family. So how do we be sensitive to what our kids are going through and not have that take the center of our world as a family or have them, you know, be the center of the universe as we're walking that out. I know you've dealt with some of this with with some anxiety with one of your kids. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So I write about in the book about one of my daughters who struggled with anxiety and and I'm not 100% sure where it came from, but she developed a extreme fear of movie theaters. Like Hmm. we would go as a family to see the low, you know, the newest animated feature And we would get into the doors and she would just have a full-blown panic attack. Mm -hmm. Now, at the time, she was probably like three, four, five. So my husband and I were like, is she just having a temper tantrum? Is she just not happy? Um, And so for a while, we just forced her to sit and it was awful. I mean, she Mm -hmm. was really struggling. But through prayer and conversations with my husband and I and talking to my daughter, we realized it wasn't a... I don't want to be here. It was a physical reaction of fear. Hmm. And so we had to make a decision to whether we were going to force her to go into theaters or not. Now, there are some things that we force her to do that she doesn't necessarily want to do. Take medicine, Mm -hmm. you take a shower, things like that. But going to a movie was not one of those things that was necessarily, you know, a hill to die on, so to speak. So we made it so that my other three kids and my husband and I would still prioritize family time to go to movies and we would just find something, an alternative. She'd go to grandma's house. She'd go over to a friend's house. So we tried to find a balance between not letting her aversion to movies completely derail our entire Mm. family, but also being sensitive to her needs at the time. And we would check back. And now she's 15 and she has no problem going to movies. She knows she needs to sit on the aisle. Mm. If she feels overwhelmed, she we've gotten some coping skills in place for her to manage but it, it was it was a very difficult dance at the beginning to mm. figure out how do we not let her lead, but us lead her. And it started with prayer and discernment, asking the Lord, like, give us wisdom. How do we handle this, Lord? Yeah. So there are 12 traits that we want to call out in our kids. And I love that story, by the way. What do you think, Melissa, is one of the hardest qualities to encourage in our kids? Wow, that's a hard one because I think that ever, we're all unique and different. So for me, I think the hardest qualities are the ones that are not my natural qualities, right? Mm-hmm. As the mom, 
the things that I'm naturally bent towards, it's easy for me to encourage in my kids. I love wonder. I love to go. We live in Florida. So I love to go to the beach and just stare at the beautiful ocean and talk about the majesty of God and the creation. I love sunsets. I love sunrises too, but I'm not naturally a morning person. So I don't (laughs) make it to a lot of the sunrises, but that's a natural gift for me. But I write about in the book, vitality, this zest for life, this zeal, this excitement is not my natural gifting. And so it's a little bit harder for me and playfulness. I write about that in the chapter. Like I'm the type A, let's get things done. Mom, my husband, on the other hand, very playful. And so it's for him, it's easy to pull that out in our kids for me, not so much, but part of the inconvenient parenting path is to choose to say yes to the playful, even if it's not natural for me, because it's so good for our kids. I write about a story where we are, my husband, turned the the faucet in the sink around so when i turned it on it Hmm. sprayed me in the face with water oh i love that (laughs) oh yeah and in that moment i had the decision was i going to be frustrated with my silly playful husband or was i going to lean into it and have fun and let me tell you i turned that sprayer around and i sprayed him back and it turned into a family water fight and it was so much fun and silly and my kids still talk about it today and in that moment i had the choice to lean into what's not natural for me and to Mm. choose the inconvenient, you know, there was water mess everywhere Mm -hmm. as a family. We had to clean (laughs) it up together, but it was, it was worth it to be playful. And, and this book helped shift my perspective to, or as I was preparing to write this book, like my husband's playfulness is a gift to our family. And so it changed Mm -hmm. my whole attitude towards him. I wasn't irritated all the time. I wasn't grumpy mom all the time. Now, does that mean that I do that every single time? Absolutely not. There are times where I'm like, like, no, we don't have time to play. We've got to get jobs done. Yeah. But to answer your question, I think the hardest one is whatever is not natural for us. Mm-hmm. And I believe God God gives us each other to sharpen and to pull out things that are not natural for us. You know, like we talked about earlier, our families are little churches and mm-hmm. churches are filled with people with different gifts, different abilities. And when we come together, it's a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. And that's true in our homes, too. Melissa, there is a parent listening right now. They've lost a child, and I can't imagine that because I have never lost a child, and you have lost a child, and it's connected with the book. I mean, this is just such a unexpected thing that came into your life. Talk about that. Yeah, so um, my I, I started writing this book, gosh, two years ago. Um, have four kids. Uh The book was set to launch August 1st of this year, and in June, tragically, suddenly, my son had an accident in a swimming pool that led to spinal surgery, three weeks in ICU, and ultimately, he passed away. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember coming home from the hospital, and my author copies of this book were sitting on the counter, and I was... I'm like, Lord, you knew this. You called me to this. I very much believe that he, he... called me to write this book. And so I, I was just confused. You know, I dedicated this book to all four of my children. And mm-hmm. so much of my son is informed in this book. And so I, I just, I was not ready to promote a book, as you can imagine. And right. Moody has been so fantastic. They were so gracious. I had so many interviews set up. I was supposed to be flying to Colorado literally the day after his accident happened. Mm -hmm. Thank God I hadn't left already because that would have been a nightmare. But um, 
But through it all, you know, Moody has been fantastic at not pushing me. We can pause the launch. We had already pre-sold several copies. And so we had to go ahead and soft launch it. Mm. So this, this launch has been very unconventional, you know? Um, But it was probably about December when I started to have a change of heart towards the book. I, I finally was able to pick it up and start looking at it again. And I realized how grateful I am to the Lord's provision and and leading my husband and I down this path of inconvenient parenting. I am so, so thankful for the memories that I've made with Joey, the uh, experiences that I have written down in story form in a book that will I will forever treasure. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the, the, I can see God's hand in walking us through this. I can tell so many stories for another hour of God's faithfulness. Um, but what I'd say to an, a fellow parent that's lost a child is that God's not done with you yet. God, I, I remember sitting in Joey's hospital room early on, he was paralyzed and he was such a trooper. He had a strong faith in the Lord. And he told one of the nurses, like, I can still do things for God from a wheelchair. I mean, mm. he he felt a call to ministry. He he was getting ready to start college this next year. And anyways, I'm sitting next to his hospital bed and, and the scripture came to mind of, um, oh my gosh, my brain, Ephesians, that God has prepared advanced work, yeah. good works mm-hmm. for you to walk yeah. in. Yeah. And so I was praying that over Joey and I thought, God, I know that you have good works. And then after Joey passed, I'm like, God, I, I, I'm so confused. I knew that you had good works for Joey. Mm-hmm. And it was like the Holy Spirit said, I have good works for you to do still too. And it changed my heart. It's like, I'm not finished. I still have mm-hmm. three beautiful daughters that I get to raise and a message of encouragement to parents that take every moment as precious mm-hmm. because it does go so quickly. As I was writing this book, I was, I was in my mind preparing for Joey to go away to college Little did I know that the Lord was preparing my heart to let Joey go off to heaven. And I'm so grateful. I mean, I miss him, of course, but I'm so God- thankful for God's faithfulness and his presence with me mm-hmm. through this whole experience. He's been so good. I think Sean has got a question for you, but just real quick, just uh, I think the Holy Spirit, you know, just dropped this in my heart that you know, Joey's good works are living on through the book because so Mm -hmm. much of Joey is in that book. And so Mm -hmm. he's, as it says in Hebrews, he still speaks because of his faith. Mm. Yeah. Melissa, thank you for for being honest, for sharing with us that part of the journey, that really difficult part of the journey. And for me, it presses in even that much more how important it is to instill these things in our kids because we don't know. We don't know how much time we have with them and you didn't waste any of it. I'd like to hear how God planted something in you, a gift, a talent, a passion, and he planted it in your life really early and it's still with you today. Love to hear from you. For me, it's music. Before basketball, before Cheez-Its, before Mountain Dew, <laughs> before girls, God planted in my heart a desire to do music. Hmm. Really, a desire to be an artist. How old were you? Do you remember like when you first started to feel yep. that you wanted to do music? I do. Eight years old. Oh, my goodness. My dad was at his workbench in the basement at our house on O'Brien Drive in Sheboygan, the house that he built. 
and I said, Dad, I want to learn how to play guitar. <clears throat> and it wasn't long after that that I was taking guitar lessons. Wow. My dad's so supportive of everything. My mom and dad just, awesome. did, just did such an amazing job. So, and then I, I remember writing some songs when I was about 11, and I was really embarrassed about it and ended up throwing those songs away. Mm-hmm. Why? Do you know why you were embarrassed about it? I think it was too scary to my young heart. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready to be that vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't have articulated it at that point. Right, right, right. But that's that's what I think it was. And then as I moved into my teenage years, basketball became my all-consuming passion and girls. And guitar <laughs> took a back seat. But I do remember being at a family camp and this guy stood up with his guitar and he opened up his heart and was weeping. And this was before he even sang a note of the song. And I don't remember the song. I don't remember what he said. I just remember him weeping. Mm. And it just touched a deep part in me. It resonated with me because God had planted that in me when I was a boy. Do you feel like it kind of gave you permission to to be vulnerable? Like that vulnerability that you decided to tuck away when, when you tossed your songs at eight, that it was kind of an invitation to go there again? Yeah, it was like calling out to me. Yeah. This is who I created you to be. You know, you you can be, Perry, you can be like him someday mm. and open up your heart. And it would take quite a bit of time to get there from that point. But yeah, it was it was calling to me to be an artist, somebody who bears their soul to bring healing. And so then I went to Olivet University to play basketball. But what I really discovered at Olivet was my early longing to be an artist, to write songs, to bear my soul, to bring healing. And that's when I started writing songs again. And this time I didn't throw them away. Good for you. Yeah. I remember I was having a conversation with a student just after class and she was not a follower of Jesus. And she just had some really deep hurt in her life and some strong, I remember some strong resistance to the gospel, Mm -hmm. to God to Christ. And I went back to my dorm room and it was just, it was just so hurtful that she couldn't experience what, what I had experienced in Mm. Christ and and a song, my first song really as as an adult came out. Yeah. So, and I pressed into being an artist through all my adult years, but just in the last couple of years, I feel like I've really found my voice and not only just the kind of lyrics to write, but also what the music should sound like mm-hmm. and to just be comfortable in my own skin and not try to sound like somebody else because there's a lot of great music and a lot of cool stuff and even a lot of really amazing ways to express lyrics and you can easily adopt somebody else's thing. Right. Yeah. And letting that dream unfold in your life and kind of leaning into it. It's a journey. Mm -hmm. It takes some time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's something really profound about it that, that doesn't just apply to being an an artist, Mm -hmm. but applies to being comfortable in our own skin and just being able to be who we are uniquely who we are. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I think the timing on this is, really interesting in having this conversation because 
it was literally just yesterday that a dream that God gave me, something he planted in my heart, I have not done. And I kind of had the thought yesterday, I probably missed my window. That ship has sailed. Yeah, that ship has sailed and you know, I probably just need to move on. But this conversation is, I think, you know, God kind of put tapping me on the shoulder and saying, Shauna, I don't want you to give that up yet. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad if it's just you that gets this, <laughs> that's awesome. You know, some people find their voice really early in life, not me. It's taken till the fourth quarter of my life to discover it. And I share all this, all this conversation to say this. I'd like to know what God has planted in you really early, and it's still in you. 800-968-8930. 800-968-8930. And then this. Maybe you've metaphorically thrown away your songs. For some reason, you've shied away from who God has created you to be. And if that's so, maybe you think it's too late, like Shauna just shared, to awaken what God has put in your heart. If so, listen to Paul's words to his disciple, Timothy. I want to remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift God gave you. And so I say this to you, my friend, with that dormant dream, gift, passion, fan into flame the gift God gave you. trouble reconciling your expectations with your reality? You know, the whole, man, I didn't think it was going to be like this. I, I didn't know that this season of life would look like this, or, or this just isn't what I pictured. It isn't what I expected. You'll have to unpack that for me. All right, I will. So back in November, my husband and I were FaceTiming with our daughter and our son-in-law. They live in Australia, and they moved there about a year and a half ago to do ministry. But they have a two-year visa and after about a year, they were back stateside for Grant's graduation, and he was getting his master's degree. He's up on stage, and they're explaining where he is and what he's doing. And they say, yeah, he's there for two years, but they're considering a longer stay. And Dan and I just kind of like look at each other. We're like, hmm, <laughs> we didn't know that they were planning on more than two years. So that was kind of an interesting way to find out. Yeah. But anyway, back in November, we're FaceTiming with the two of them. And Eden and I talk about clothes all the time. We both enjoy clothes. It's just a fun, creative thing that we enjoy together. So we talk about fashion. We talk about clothing. If we get something new, we'll share that with each other. Oh, look what I got. Kaylee would love to be a part of that conversation. <laughs> yeah. It's a ton of fun. The The email thread, or excuse me, the text thread back and forth between us is often, you know, a picture of, should I wear this shoe or should I wear this shoe or whatever. So we're FaceTiming. It's Dan, my husband, myself. Grant and Eden, and she says, I have this new outfit I want to show you. And she pulls out this baby onesie. Oh, no. And I'm like, Eden? Because she can be a little bit of a jokester. Uh -huh. Like, I can't even tell you how many times during COVID that she would call and say, I got the COVID. And I'm like, stop it. <laughs> so she That's just, she's, yeah, yeah, she <laughs> thinks she's very funny. So she pulls out this baby onesie, and I'm like, Eden? Do not mess with your mother. Don't mess with me on this. So I think that I didn't respond the way that she thought I was going to respond. I just kind of froze. Like I didn't scream. I wasn't excited. I just froze. But I didn't respond. And so she was like, Mom, use your words. Talk to me. <laughs> and I had to I had to choose really carefully what I said in that moment because 
I was battling what I was supposed to feel and what I was actually feeling at mm. the same time. Yeah. I am excited for them. I'm super excited to be a grandma. I'm so thrilled for this baby. But I was simultaneously feeling like so, 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 so sad that my grandbaby is going to grow up on the other part of the world. Yeah, but just think about the accent they'll have. Could be. Could be stinking adorable. <laughs> but I have to tell you, my whole life, I dreamt of becoming a mom and I dreamt of you know, more recently, becoming a grandma and what that would look like. And I'm the grandma who's going to, you know, babysit whenever they need me to babysit. I, I want to be the grandma who can take the baby for a day so that Eden can just run errands or say, I'll take the baby overnight so that you and Grant can just really get a good, solid night's sleep. Mm -hmm. I, I'm the grandma who's going to pop in and just have unexpected presents or just like not even tell you I'm coming and show up and take you to ice cream. Like that's the grandma I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was your expectation. That was my expectation. And never in a million years did I dream that my grandbaby would be 9,091 miles away. That's the distance from Middleville to Toowoomba. Plus it's summer there. What does that have to do with anything? <laughs> I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's a complete different different season. It is. It's a I mean, whole other part of the planet. I'm just adding to the, the, distance. the distance. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, we got this whole Pacific Ocean between us. And anyway, so I find out I'm being a grandma, and I'm super excited and simultaneously really, really sad because I recognize that being a grandma isn't going to look like what I thought it was going to look like. And to be honest with you, I'm just having a hard time reconciling my expectations and my reality. Mm -hmm. And maybe you've been there. Maybe... I don't know. Maybe you are there right now. Maybe you're thinking, this is not the way it's supposed to be. I think it's okay to be honest about your disappointment. I actually think it's important. You can share those feelings with the Lord and let him know this very exciting thing also makes me feel sad. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think that we should go beyond just telling him how we're feeling. I think that we can be honest with God about what we actually want. Like, <laughs> I could pray for my baby to come back to the States, you know, for us to be in close proximity and, and to have all those things. I'm thinking of a couple of friends of ours, though, who've lost their marriages. Mm -hmm. And they did not expect that. They didn't go into marriage thinking, this is going to end. Right. And I mean, that's the ultimate death, really. And it is. It is a death. It's a death of a marriage, and it's a grieving of everything you know, we look at our future and we paint pictures and we use bright colors and textures. And when the reality that you're sitting in is is not what you had envisioned, it's not what you had planned for your life, whether it was a marriage coming to an end, the death of a marriage, or a diagnosis that radically changed your life. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of ways that life doesn't look like what we thought it was going to look like. And in those moments, I think it's really important that we be honest with ourselves about what we're feeling, but we also get honest with God about what we're feeling and, and get honest about what our desires are in the midst of that, and even go so far as to trust Him with our future. As you wrestle with your expectations and you just try to come to terms with your reality, I just want to encourage you to lean into God, to talk to Him to be really honest with him. 
He's really, really good. And he gets you. And he loves you. And you can trust him. I don't know if you feel it. It's this undercurrent of hopelessness and despair and confusion about identity, who we are, why are we here? My friend Radvan Sokoma got me thinking about this from his message on Genesis 1 and 2, and in it he mentioned Stephen Hawking. Do you know who Stephen Hawking is? I don't. He was a brilliant physicist who died in 2018. I think he had Lou Gehrig's disease. He mm. was in a wheelchair and spoke through a electronic device, I think. Mm. And anyway, but a brilliant guy. At Cambridge University, he gave one of his famous speeches on human origins. Hawking said, yes, we've been designed, but since we don't know what the design is, we may as well not be. Hmm. Hawking says, my only fear for mankind is this, and it's the terror that stalks my mind at night. The terror that stalks my mind at night. My fear is that because we have arrived through evolution and because natural selection assumes natural rejection, this means we're here because of our aggression. We're here because of our aggression, survival of the fittest. Mm. So he's being very consistent about his worldview. Right. Because that's what survival of the fittest really leads to. We're here because we won. Then Hawking says, My hope is that somehow we can keep from eating each other up for the next 100 years because hopefully by then science will have figured out how to take us to other planets so that no one atrocity will be able to destroy all of us at the same time. Thank you very much, Mr. Hawking. For Yeah, no kidding. Okay, now I feel the undercurrent. Right. (laughs) I didn't when you first mentioned it, but wow. So if according to Hawking, our origin is an accident and our future has no meaning, our only hope is to get off this planet, mm-hmm. how can anything in between have any purpose? It can't. Now we see why there's so much despair and hopelessness and fear. And maybe you're feeling the undercurrent. You have hope in Christ, but you're feeling this undercurrent because it's so much a part of our world. Mm-hmm. This, this worldview that this is all there is. Yeah, it makes me think how much of the, the crazy, the frenzy that's happening in the world around us comes from a, a place of just trying to figure out who I am and why I'm here, trying to leave some kind of mark on the world, mm-hmm. trying to prove that I matter in some way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if if you feel that, you're going to try to, somehow figure it out or else just give up in despair. But for Hawking, it's, you know, we got to get off this planet so we don't consume each other. And so I think that this is why so many people are running and hiding and medicating. Mm. My friend Rod says, we look at our screens with blank stares for hours and inject and consume mind-numbing substances. We become very zombie-like. Why are we so consumed with or infatuated with zombies these days? There's a lot of TV shows, a lot of movies about zombies. You know, we've become Think very... we're relating to it in some way? Is that yeah, what you're saying? It's, it's kind of like a, an icon of, what's, mm. of what we're feeling in our culture. We've forgotten who we are and why we're here. 
So hold on, Mr. Hawking. We have the book that gives us the very words of God, the creator. In the beginning, God created. Mm. The book that tells us not only who we are, what we are, but also the great purpose to our existence. Who are we? We are the ones God created because he longed to share his love with us. Mm-hmm. We've been created out of love. And created in his image. Yes. I'm going to get to that. Yay! <laughs> what are we? We have been created in God's image. Boo, yeah. I beat you on that one. Sorry about did. that. You yeah. did. Still your thunder. Jumping way ahead of me. <laughs> we, Psalm 8 says we've been made a little less than God. That's the literal translation. Mm-hmm. A little less than God. To image God's passionate love to the world. Wow. That's who we are. That's what we are. That one, like I want to experience more of that created in God's image. Mm -hmm. I want more and more to reflect the image of God. Yeah. And so we need to understand what, what all that means. And it's very multifaceted and it's very nuanced. And we're just scratching the surface Mm -hmm. on that. So what is our purpose? Well, God is king, he's the ruler, and so being created in his image means we've been created to rule. You're a king. You're a queen. Queen Shauna. But not a king or a queen who is served, but a king or queen who washes feet, Mm -hmm. who serves, who gives life to the world. It looks like you, Shauna, going across the, the globe, going to India, going into the red light district, sitting down with women who are who are trapped in the sex trade and loving on them, hugging them, mm-hmm. praying over them. That's what it looks like to be a ruler in God's mm. kingdom. Yeah. Yeah, to serve, to to have compassion to the way that <laughs> the way that Jesus came and the way that he lived with all the authority with with all the royalty, right? All of the the kingship of mm-hmm. who he is. Mm-hmm. And yet he had, I'm thinking specifically of his conversation with the woman at the well. You know, I have to have this conversation with the least of these, especially in that culture, in that context. She was so the least of these. And his plan for her was to be a messenger of the good news, you know, that People would be transformed by her message as she shared that he's the Messiah. It's such a beautiful example of how we are to live our lives and engage with the world around us. Yeah, that was Jesus showing his kingship Mm -hmm. in that experience. And so we are called to, to love as we have been loved. And so what does it look like to be human in a fallen world? It means to know that we know that we know that God loves us that we've been created out of love, that we've been forgiven and redeemed if we've put our faith in Jesus. What does it look like to be human in a fallen world as well? It means to wash feet. Thanks for letting Perry and Shauna walk the real life journey with you. The content from the Perry and Shauna podcast comes from their live show, Perry and Shauna Mornings on 89.3 Moody Radio, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Reach out to us by texting 800-968-8930 and please subscribe.